family gathering where everybody's there and it's just total pandemonium, right? And you love to hate it, but it's good. No, I mean, it just, it's chaotic, but it's a good thing. So we're all coming together and um, we're kind of really starting a journey that is going to be to make sure that we fix this disconnectedness that has happened in our church. And so from that point on, we'll be doing one service December the 15th and the 22nd is going to be a great kids church service day. It's going to be an awesome celebration. Uh, and then the 29th right after Christmas leading up to the launch of one year, one service, one commitment for the year of 2020 and we're going into a, a one-year commitment something that I've never asked a church to do not in my entire time of being a lead pastor it's a pretty big commitment all the church growth people would say you can't do that it's crazy don't do it um, but we're not here to grow programs we're here to grow people and that's what making disciples is all about right and so I hope that you'll be on board with that journey um, it will be a hard journey but we're starting today uh, in, in an eight-week series and if you're not in a small group I encourage you to stop at the table today out in the lobby and get in one because that's really where life happens and we're really um, exploring more of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus what it means to be a disciple and the reality is that there is a cost involved there's a cost involved and so today we're, we're launching kind of the a preemptive, if you will, preparation for where we're going in 2020. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to be on this series of learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, much of this message is, is following this book, if you dare to get it, and we're going to have them available next week. Uh, it's called Radical by David Platt, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream. And so this book really kind of rocked my world and I shared that with you a few weeks ago. In fact, I even shared with you a few weeks ago we talked about the cost of discipleship and taking a little bit of a different spin today and over the next eight weeks we're going to dig deeper into God's Word and discover what it really looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And the truth is that a, a summary biblically of what that looks like is Jesus calls people to give up everything and follow Him everything and this is not a popular message this is not a message that you might leave here saying oh I feel all warm and fuzzy about that thank you pastor you made me feel good uh, no it's a message that will be convicting to you and it's convicting to me and the word of God cuts like a knife right through the joints and the marrow deep into the heart of man and my prayer for you is that you wouldn't just sit here and listen as we speak over the next few weeks and as these messages come but you would listen in your heart and receive and my hope is that um, you will go with me and with us on this journey and the question that we have really is for you is do we believe Christ is worth abandoning everything for and this is the cost so this is not a popular in church today in fact, in the American church today, this is totally counter the culture that you and I live in. And so it's risky. <laughs> it's risky because some of you won't like it. And some of you will check the no thank you box. Right? Remember when you sent the note to the girl across class, do you like me? Check yes, no, or maybe. Um, some of you are going to say, and eh, maybe, or no thank you. Um, and I don't say that lightly because I don't... I want you to realize the significance and the weight that Jesus talks about in this very familiar passage of Scripture, but very painful and one that we kind of like to say, well, Jesus didn't really mean that. Do we believe that Jesus is so good, so satisfying, and so rewarding that we will leave all that we have, all that we own, all that we are, to find our fullness in Him. Do we believe Him enough to obey Him and to follow Him wherever He leads? Even when the crowds in our culture and maybe even in our churches turn the other way. You know, we sing songs like what we sang this morning. Praising Him in the middle of the storm. Um, I wrote down, I'm terrible at remembering words. But I love the songs when we're singing them and I always mess them up. I'm notorious for singing the wrong lines. My wife loves it. Um, 
in the middle of, uh, he talked this the song, fear and confusion, fear and depression and confusion, you have no place, all lesser things that demand my attention, you have no place, you have no place. But here's the problem, we sing those songs, but everything else in the world vies for your attention. Everything. Other relationships, your job, your mortgage payment, your rent payment, your car payment, whatever. Everything else is vying for your attention. And it's not that all those things are evil in and of themselves or bad, but they are calling for your attention and we often give more attention to them than we do to God and we wonder why our lives are so upside down and messed up. Because we haven't fully embraced what it looks like or what it really means to follow Jesus. We haven't really counted the cost of followership. And, and what I believe it, we're in the middle of is that God is doing something. There's, there's a stirring across the church of, of Jesus Christ and not of Latter-day Saints, but the church of Bible-believing followers like you and I. There's a stirring going on and there's a sifting and sorting through who's really willing to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you despite what it costs, regardless of the cost or the consequences. And there are many people in the church today that I fear they, they wear the placard Christian because someone said, well, hey, just admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, confess your sins, and oh, you're good to go. Now you can get, just bow your head and say a quick prayer and we're all set and boom, off on your way and go live your life and do whatever you want to do. And that is, that is so wrong. That is what the church has painted of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus said. That's what we in the church have said. But we've missed the mark of really painting a clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is where we're going as a church. And it's really scary to some of you, to me, to all of us. Because we're going deeper. And, and, and I've seen this this thing in the church, and, I, and I'll call it an, an epidemic, that we have a church, and I'm, gonna, I'm saying big church, full of people who are still baby Christians in our walk. And I know this is stepping on toes, but let's just be real about it, okay? I love you, and you have to love me, so like it or not. <laughs> baby Christians, so what that means is that we've made it um, following Jesus kind of such a comfortable, easy thing to do. And we have people who have been Christians superficially on the surface, meaning that we, it's kind of like a switch, we turn it on and off, we know we go to church and, and yeah, God's in our life when, we, when, we, when it's comfortable and when it fits in our life, when he fits in our life. But when it doesn't, you know, I need to do my thing uh, to live my life uh, to be comfortable because certainly God wouldn't want me to be uncomfortable. Right? God wouldn't ask that. But actually, it's exactly what he asks. He says, if you want to follow me, good. I've got great news for you. Pick up your cross and die with me. All right, count me in, I'm on, right? No. We, we say that, but we don't really live that in our day-to-day -day lives. And, and we know that, all of us, because of, if you really did a, a, an evaluation of how we live, it's very easy to get sucked into that vortex of living the American dream. And the American dream is totally contrary to what God's plan for you and me is. But we get sucked into it because uh, we live in this world, right? You've got to pay your bills. You've got to take care of this. You've got to do that. And I understand it. But I don't think that anybody intentionally just gets up and says, oh, I'm not really going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It just happens because life happens. And we miss out on the, the cost of discipleship. And we don't consider the cost. And we just go about life forgetting that Jesus is kind of on the shelf. And he doesn't want to be a part of your life. He is your life. He wants to be every thing in your life. Everything. So look in your Bible at Luke chapter 14. The cost of following Christ is great. However, the cost of not following Christ is even greater. And I hope that you're going to see that today. So this is not a, a message that should leave you with doom and gloom and despair. It's a message that should help you and I to understand. Man, there is no greater joy in the world. There is no greater fulfillment in the world. There is nothing else that this world can offer you that is fulfilling the way Christ is and the way a life of fully devoted 
commitment really is. That C word. How many of you have been in a relationship with the C word where they didn't want to commit? Anybody? No, don't raise your hands. But see, the reality is, the reality is it's, it's very easy to slip into that, whether it be in our marriages or other relationships. When things get rough and they get difficult, we just say, ah, you know what, I'm done. And yeah, I'm committed, but no, this is really hard and this is not what I signed up for. And, you know, she's not, you know, really meeting me where I'm at and what my needs are. And he doesn't do what I think he needs to do as a husband and blah, 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 blah. Well, that, the, the reality is that's all of our selfish nature, isn't it? We're all selfish. I'm selfish. You're selfish. Don't look at me like that. It's your human nature. <laughs> really, right? We are self-centered. And when our needs aren't being met the way we think they should be met, then we want to just bail out and say, I'm done. Well, just like a marriage is a total commitment of oneself to the other, your relationship with Jesus is that way and greater. And greater according to God's word. I, I said this to you last week. You know, our marriage commitment, if my wife could have killed me, it, the relationship would have been over. If, if divorce was an option, it would have been done. But we've made it through 26 years and we continue because of a commitment that we made to each other and before the Lord, a promise that we made. And this is not, I'm not speaking against divorce and all that. I, I understand things happen, but your commitment to your spouse and that it's not about what I want because there's been plenty of times I'm sure I haven't made her happy and met her needs and vice versa. But that's a selfless relationship like our one with Christ, but again, even greater. The cost of believers not taking serious is so vast for those who don't know Christ, and it's devastating for those who are starving and suffering around the world. And the church is starving and suffering in America. Lost people are starving and suffering because people have not really considered the cost of abandoning, abandoning everything. And the cost of not abandoning everything to follow Christ is so great for anyone who misses out on the infinite joy of knowing and experiencing Christ in all of his fullness. There's no greater joy. But we try to stuff our life full of keeping up with the Jones. Having a nicer house. Having a bigger boat. Having a nicer car. Advancing our career. Fill in the blank of whatever you think it is. And I've got news for you. All of those things will rust and rot and not go with you when you leave this earth. There has never been, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You don't bring anything with you. When you leave this earth, it all stays behind. But in our world and in our mind, we get so wrapped up into this temporal pleasures of getting this and getting that because we deserve it. Right? And we've worked hard for our money and we want to live comfortable and happy lives. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless you. He does want to bless you. But the problem is though, it's not having the things. It's when the things have you and it's when those things become more important to you than your devotion to Jesus. And that is easy for us all to slip into that. Me included because I like to be comfortable. Right? You do too. It's, it's the world that we live in and, and this is not a, a, please don't feel that I'm up here trying to condemn anyone. That is not my heart. I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will convict us because that's what we need to draw us deeper into more abiding and intimate relationship with Jesus that will truly fulfill you and will transform you and it will transform your world if we really consider the cost and understand what it means to follow Christ. So we're going to discover what it means to give up everything in our life in order to follow Jesus. Hoorah, alright. Some of you want to leave right now, right? Great, sign me out, I'm done. I mean, honestly, we like to joke, uh, and I'm trying to joke to keep this light, but it is, it is, this is a very convicting word in Luke chapter 14. Let's look at it together. This is out of the English standard. I like the ESV. It's the closest to the original language, yet it's in, in a little bit more of a modern vernacular that I can understand well. Um, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So we can just stop right there and say, well, that's ridiculous. That's certainly not what he means, right? I mean, Jesus doesn't mean to hate. He tells us to love. So what? All right, we're going to... Don't sign out yet. We're going to get to what that really looks like and why he says that. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, we see it again. What does he say? Cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not... While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few minutes you would speak to each one of us in, in an individual way in this room as only you can do by your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would... Speak to our hearts that we would not just hear with our ears but with our hearts and, and our spirits would be open to receive what you have for us today in, in, in a way that will be life transforming. In this kind of initial first step as we're moving into this next eight weeks together on a journey together, I pray Lord that you would move in our hearts in such a profound way that we would never be the same. In Jesus name, amen. So there's many supporting passages here about followership. One's found in Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 where uh, the, the first disciples were called and uh, Jesus basically meets up with these ordinary fishermen but this was their livelihood and what does he say to them? Uh, he says, listen, hey, drop your nets and follow me. Leave what you're doing, your nets and even yet your father who's hanging out, drop all that and I want you to come and follow me. And these, this was their livelihood. So think about that. What if Jesus walked into your workplace and said, hey, Bubba, Listen, dude, it's time to follow me. Drop your work and let's leave. Let's go. We're going. And Bubba's, Bubba's, Bubba's like, I'm out. I'm ready. Awesome. You may be ready to get out of that job, right? But the reality is we know what that job means. That job means security, right? And although we might say that easy, when push comes to shove and we're really forced to say, hey, are you willing to give that up to follow me, Craig? Well, yeah, God, but, you know, if you could put, you know, half a million dollars in my checking account, that'd be awesome, because then I'd really be ready, because I'd know I'm all secure. Leave the comforts of home, leave the security of the, the temporal things that you can do on your own, drop it all, and follow me. Now, I'm not advising you all to leave your jobs tomorrow. But I want you to understand what Jesus is trying to say here. In Luke 9, he talks again, and we're going to refer to that, the cost of followership. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about the priceless value of knowing Christ. He says, and I press on towards the goal. In Matthew, we talk about the pearl of great price, the man who found a hidden treasure and, he, and sold everything he had to give to the poor and to follow Jesus. So I want to give a little background of this passage here in, in, um, in Luke chapter 14. And, and Jesus was on the road to Jerusalem, and, and the context of this passage immediately before this in, in the uh, verse 15 through 23 we find Jesus at a dinner party held by a prominent Pharisee where he told the parable of a great feast for which he invited a lot of guests prominent guests and they were too enthralled in their earthly pleasures of life to even attend the party so if, if you got your Bibles, I don't have it on the screen, but just flip back there so I can share that with you. Luke chapter 14 verse 15 says, Hearing this, a man sitting at a table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus replied with this story. That's not, that's not what I have on the screen, so you guys can take that off if you don't mind so I don't confuse people. Look in your Bibles on your phone or on your paper Bible. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. When the banker was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. They be, uh, but, in verse 18, they all began making excuses. 
One said, I've just bought a field and I've got to inspect it. So please excuse me, I won't be there. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. So please excuse me, I can't be there. Another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant returned and he told his master what they said. His master was furious and he said, go quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. After the servant had done this, he, re he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges, the homeless people, urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. So that's alarming to me. <laughs> that's alarming and it should be concerning. That last part of the verse where Jesus says, and this is a parable, he's trying to show us something. And there's been a banquet table set for you and I. A beautiful banquet table, Jesus is saying. And because we're too busy, because of the cares of this world, because I've got a job to go to, because I just bought a new boat and I want to try it out, because I just, whatever, you fill in the blank for you, I'm too busy and we decline the invitation. And then we come into church in here and we say, oh God, we need you, we're so broken, at least from 10.30 to 12, and we need you, Lord. Where are you? You didn't show up. Okay, I'm going to go out and do my own life. And we, we don't pull up to the banquet table where there's a feast waiting and we miss out and we wonder what the problem is. The problem is not God. He set the table. The problem is us and we're too busy and we have too many excuses to get what he has for us at the table. So we're missing out and the American church has missed out and the, the American church has grown stale, complacent, apathetic, lethargic, and frankly somewhat dead. We're not seeing the signs and wonders that I believe that God wants the church to see, but he set it up. Well, there's a reason. We didn't come to the banquet table. We're not seeing God moving in your life and seeing people set free of this and that. And, and God can do that and God is still doing that. But the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. And the reality is those signs and wonders, they take place all the time in third world countries who have nothing. Because they're desperate for God. They're hungry for God. They're not distracted by the cares and the worries of this world and the temporary pleasures that you and I all enjoy. And they're wonderful. And I love our freedoms. And we love all of that, don't we? But the people who are poor and who walk for five and six hours on dirt roads, on rocky dirt roads without shoes, to go in to sit on a wooden stump because they love Jesus and they want to learn and they want to hear, they are seeing God move in miraculous ways in their midst because there's a cost. And they've said, hey, I accept that cost. I'm hungry for Jesus. I don't care what it costs me. But us, we're too comfortable. If the heat's not just right or the air's not right or someone took my favorite chair, then I just don't think I'm going to get anything from God today. We're very comfortable. We've been lulled to sleep. And I think God's stirring some of us up out of our comfort zones here. And I want us to understand. See, Jesus knew that he was on his way to his death. He was going to the place where he would make the ultimate sacrifice to pay the penalty for the sin of mankind. And many of his followers, they continued to look to Jesus to be the deliverer in a military sense. One who would free them from the Roman impression. The crowd that was following was continuing to grow. And since Jesus understood that he was what he was going to face, he also knew the trials through which his followers would have to go through. Jesus knew what you and I would have to persevere through. He knew it was going to be hard. Welcome to what Jesus already knew. And some of us came to Christ thinking, oh, it's going to get easier. And it got worse. It got harder. And we want to quit. And so some of us do mentally, emotionally. We sign out. We check out. And we just kind of like, no, I'm still a Christian. I'm still going to do my God time. And I'm going to go to church. And I'm going to, you know, because I'm still, uh, I'm still a Christian. But being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, being a disciple, is not just checking the box in a part of your life. It is your entire being. It's complete abandonment. It's total sacrifice. I know this is not what you wanted to hear this morning, but I love you anyway. 
See, he needed them to understand the level of commitment that was required in order to truly follow after where he was leading them. And you say, well, that was good for the early disciples, Pastor. This, but, but what about me? See, this passage of Scripture is important because it, 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 it leads us to consider the cost of following. It makes it clear that in order for a person to be a true disciple of Jesus, one must devote himself or herself to Jesus above anything and everyone else. And I know that that's not new to many of you in the room today. But actually living that out might be new to you. Because it's a challenge. This passage also points to the truth that salvation is, is by faith alone. And we discover that, that Jesus could never be accused of trying to appeal to popular opinion. And you may even look at this and say, oh, he was garnering mass appeal and people were coming to him. But in reality, Jesus was much more interested then and he is now in developing true disciples as opposed to just building a crowd of adoring fans. And we've slipped into that in the church, right? We just want to appeal to the masses. So let's make things as comfortable as we can. Let's put on as nice of a show as we can. Let's put everything on the outside as, as good as we can. But really, <laughs> that's not what the church is supposed to be about. Right? Jesus wasn't concerned about that. And so some of you might be offended by this. Again, I pray that you're not and your, your heart is not offended, maybe convicted. The difficulty in understanding this teaching, though, is that um, it stems from the harshness of the language that Jesus uses. Look at verse 26 of this chapter. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother. Now that's very, that's hard to swallow that. What did he really mean by that? And what was Jesus trying to say? And it's important that you understand what he was trying to say. And the tendency is to kind of try to rationalize verses like this by thinking, oh, you know, he was using some kind of, you know, like a, a hyperbole and he didn't really mean what he was saying. And so we kind of, kind of slough it off as, you know, it's not as harsh as it sounds. It couldn't be. I mean, Jesus is all about love, right? But Jesus used the word hate for a very specific purpose and for a reason. The Greek word miseo is, is not an absolute but a relative term. And in Matthew chapter 10, it, it, it actually means to love less. So it's used again in Matthew 10, 37. It means to love less. But here in Luke, Jesus' point was, was this. That a true disciple's devotion to him should make all other relationships appear to be characterized by hate in comparison. So what, this is what he's saying. Not that, you know, you hate your father but, or your mother, but that in comparison, all of the relations should be absolutely secondary to your relationship with Jesus. Well, you talk to my spouse about that and see how they like it. Here's, here's what you'll find out. If your love for Jesus is greater than your love for your spouse, you will meet the needs that your spouse has through Christ inside of you. Because you'll never do it on your own. Believe me. Or other relationships. Anything. With your children or whatever it is. Everything else in comparison. So this certainly doesn't lessen the impact of his words. Especially in society that Jesus was talking where honor of one's parents was viewed as the highest of life's calling. Honoring your parents in this day was, was huge. And it still should be a big deal. I believe that according to God's word. Unfortunately it's not so much in the world we live in. But he's saying our love for him takes first priority above all others in our life. Above everything and everyone. In Jewish tradition, only, only Jesus openly demanded such wholesale devotion as he claims here. And it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy and Luke. But when a criminal was condemned to death by crucifixion, he would literally, and you've, you've seen this, he'd have to carry his cross. It was the horizontal beam that the criminal would carry. And he would carry it to the site where the upright stake was, was standing, where he would be put to death. And this was the same fate to which Jesus was journeying. He was headed that way. No one in their right mind would choose to suffer 
and to go through this torture and this, this indignity on their own accord. But that's exactly the path that Jesus calls his disciples to choose. You could go this way, but Craig, this is the way I've called you to follow. For a person to truly follow Jesus, one must continually die to oneself. Letting go completely of all that he or she has desired and pursued in life in order to fully embrace all that Jesus desires for him or her. But we try to fill it with everything else. Look at verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all who see begin to mock him, saying, this man to begin to build and he wasn't able to finish. You ever seen a house that someone started and they ran out of money? In that day, that was a huge disgrace. As a builder, you would lose all of your honor. Again, honor was huge. The failings of inadequate or half-finished structures were very well known, but the point here is the, is the shame the builder would have to suffer in society that was obsessed with honor if he was unable to finish what he started. No builder of any reputation would allow himself to be caught in such a, a situation. The same should be true for a disciple or a follower of Jesus. He or she should consider before he, she, he or she ever commits the persistence and the perseverance that you will need in order to follow where Jesus leads you. If you are really a follower of Jesus, your life will be hard. Your life's hard if you're not, but following Jesus means that you have the spiritual component of the attack of the enemy and the onslaught of the enemy keeping you from moving forward with Jesus. See, if you're just half in, you're not a threat to the enemy and he'll just leave you alone. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that if you're not going through all kinds of crap in your life that you're probably not on the right, right path. Because when you decide that I'm going on with you, Jesus, then all hell is against the progress that you're trying to make. Through people, through relationships, you name it, through circumstances and difficulties of life, trials will come and they are intensified for the follower of Jesus. So consider the cost. If you're not willing to persevere and to be persistent, you'll throw in the towel, you'll quit, you'll give up. That's why Jesus says, consider the cost. It would be a great embarrassment for a builder, but nothing could be worse than a king who wages a, a foolhardy war against someone else and then realizes a few verses down, oh, wow, I hope that I can really win this war that I just waged, right? Only the person who considers the cost of following Jesus and committed to pay whatever it may cost can truly be Jesus' disciple. Now, the calling of Jesus doesn't necessarily involve you completely abandoning your possessions and your relationships, but it might. The life of a disciple is one that requires a full surrender to the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus is going to say, go quit your job, go sell your house today. But if he does, are you willing? Our commitment to Jesus has got to be met without any reservations. These verses contain what is considered the, the, probably the most difficult of his teachings, of Jesus' teachings. But the difficulty doesn't excuse us from taking seriously the call to be a disciple. It shouldn't be taken lightly. It's not easy. It's demanding. It requires sacrifice and commitment. But our culture that we live in seeks to always appeal to one's selfish interests and comforts. Right? We live there. Jesus calls us to put him first. A priority so above everything else in our life that everything else just pales in comparison. Probably the most daunting conclusion that we can draw from this, uh, this whole passage of Scripture is the unspoken question that Jesus leaves us with at the end of these verses. And this is what that question is. Now that I've been clear about what it will cost, will you follow me? Now that you really understand it, you want to follow me, great. Come and die with me. Pick up that electric chair. Have a seat there. If you want to follow me, go ahead and sit down. Strap in. So, 
I want to ask you the question about devotion. And I'll read a, pass, a little story out of this book on devotion. How would you define devotion? In your mind, what would you define devotion as? In the dictionary, it defines it as profound dedication. Profound dedication. What makes our dedication to our spiritual life profound compared to other areas of our life? What makes your dedication to Christ profound when you compare it to others? Oh, I've seen people work like workaholics that may, they are committed and dedicated to building that house or to excelling in their job. I want you to think about that. What makes your commitment to Christ and your dedication to Him profound? L listen to this story as I read. This is a true story from the author. Imagine all the blinds closed and the windows uh, on the windows of a dimly lit room. Twenty leaders from different churches in the area sat in a circle on the floor with their Bibles open. Some of them had sweat on their foreheads after walking for miles to get there. Others were dirty from the dust in the villages for which they had set out on bikes earlier that morning. They gathered in secret. They had intentionally come to this place at different times throughout the morning so as to not draw attention to the meeting that was occurring. They lived in a country in Asia where it's illegal for them to gather like this. If caught, they could lose their land, their jobs, their families, or their lives. I listened as they began sharing their stories of what God was doing in their churches. One man sat in a corner. He had a strong frame and served as the head of security, so to speak. Whenever a knock was heard at the door or a noise was made outside the window, everyone in the room would freeze in tension as this brother would go make sure everything was okay. As he spoke, his tough appearance soon revealed a tender heart. Some of the people in my church have been pulled away by a cult, he said. This particular cult is known for kidnapping believers, taking them to isolated locations and torturing them. Think about the profound dedication that you have to Christ, okay? Brothers and sisters having their tongues cut out of their mouths is not uncommon. And this is not decades ago. This is modern day. As he shared about the dangers in his church mem uh, his church members were facing, tears welled up in his eyes. He said, I'm hurting and I need God's grace to lead my church through these attacks. A woman on the other side of the room spoke up. Some of the members in my church were recently confronted by government officials. She continued. They, they, uh, they threatened their families saying if they did not stop gathering to study the Bible, they were going to lose everything they had. She asked for prayer, saying, I need to know how to lead my church to follow Christ even when it costs them everything. That's profoundly similar to what the Bible says, right? As I looked around the room, I saw that everyone was now in tears. The struggles expressed by this brother and sister were not isolated. They all looked at one another and said, we need to pray. Immediately, they went to their knees and with their faces on the ground, they began to cry out to God. Their prayers were marked less by grandiose theological language and more by heartfelt praise and pleading. Oh God, thank you for loving us. We need you. Jesus, we give our lives to you and for you. Jesus, we trust you. They audibly wept before God as one leader after another prayed. And after about an hour, the room drew to a silence and they rose from the floor. Humbled by what I had just been a part of, I saw puddles of tears in a circle around the room. In the days since then, God has granted me many other opportunities to gather with believers in underground house churches in Asia. Men and women, the, men and women there risk everything to follow Christ. Men like Jian, an Asian doctor who left his successful health clinic and now risks his life and the lives of his wife and his two children in order to provide impoverished villages with medical care, secretly training an entire network of house church leaders. Women like Lynn, who teaches on a university campus where it's illegal to spread the gospel. She meets in secret with college students to talk about the claims of Christ, though she could lose her livelihood for doing so. Teenagers like Shan and Ling, who have been sent out from house churches in their villages to undergo intensive study and preparation for taking the gospel to parts of Asia where there are no churches. Ling said to me, I have told my family that I will likely never come back home. This is a teenager. I'm going to hard places to make the gospel known and it is possible that I will lose my life in the process. But yet still going out. 
She added, but our families understand. Our moms and dads have been in prison for their faith and they have taught us that Jesus is worthy of all, all, all our devotion. I dare to say that we have not taught our children that type of devotion. We've not lived it. We've not modeled it. We've not taught it. So what's, with, what's wrong with the American church? We haven't really learned what it means to follow Jesus. And when we do, and when we really do, I believe it will transform us and it will transform our worlds. This is a hard message. This is not one that you just say, tuck it away in your back pocket. Okay, cool, yeah, let's, let's just go out and do it. The reality is this, this is hard because in the American culture, we have, we have lived the lie that following Jesus is just easy peasy and comfortable. Right? That's not the type of calling that Jesus has given to you and I. And, and I'm, I'm already tempted right now to say, oh, let's just wrap it up because it's five minutes before I'm already too late. And I know I'm too late already. And I know it's probably warm. Right, for what? So let me finish. Can I do that? See, their devotion can't be easy. The circumstances surrounding these followers in Asia enable us, they help us to see their dedication to their faith in Jesus. That's profound. And I think, honestly, I think where we're going as a church, this is going to strengthen us like never before when we really fully embrace the depth of the calling. And it will sift out those who don't want to go there. I get it. But it will strengthen us because we see the church, the underground church in Asia and in other parts of third world countries where they have nothing, there is a desperation and a hunger for God. One where teenagers are willing to willingly lay down their life to follow Jesus but there is such a strength in that and God is moving through that. And you know what? If you lose your life, I hate to put it this way, but what does this world really have to offer you and I anyway? Nothing of lasting eternal results, right? But it's hard to live that way. The question that faces us today, regardless of our life's circumstances, is will you respond like Shan, recognizing that he's worthy of your devotion? Jesus doesn't promise us safety, but he does offer us security in our relationships. And he asks us to give us everything for his sake. Luke 14, 27. Following Christ means continually sacrificing who we are for who he is. When I show you the picture of the cross here, can you put that picture of the cross up on the screen? Well, what type of things immediately come to mind? The, the cross was a symbol of death. Carrying one's cross meant going to one's death. Jesus knew that following him might result in death, but he also wanted his audience to understand the self-sacrifice that truly following him required. Whoever, verse 27, does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Most, most of us connect the phrase carry your cross with Jesus on his way to Golgotha, being crucified. And that's exactly the, the type of picture that Jesus was trying to convey to, to his followers. He was saying... This involves, following me involves dying to yourself. Letting go completely of all that we have desired and pursued in this life in, in order to fully embrace what he wants for us. And if we're not careful, we can settle for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves, but the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. We've catered. And we in the church have coddled that catering in America. 
Why is it so often that we become our own greatest hindrance to following where Jesus is leading us to go? Dying to self isn't something that we do one time when we get saved and we invite Christ into our heart. It's on our journey with Jesus. We've got to continually sacrifice who we are for who he is. The cost of not following Jesus is high, much higher. For those who don't know him at all because of, because of the, the, it often means that we're distracted by our own selfish pursuits from carrying the gospel message to those who have not heard it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when a man calls, uh, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Following Christ involves radical abandonment of everything we previously sought in life for the freedom to pursue him in all his glory. I want you to think about for a minute what restraints are there in your life? What, what are the things in your life that keep you back or that are holding you back from the primary goal of just following Jesus? What is it? What is that? Because the process of giving up means relinquishing all control. Now, I want you to understand as I, as I wrap up that we may or may not actually be literally called to abandon all of our possessions and all of our relationships or, or die for the sake of Christ. I understand that. And that, that's the truth, right? Most of us won't go there. But the cost of being a disciple of Jesus is our acceptance of his total lordship in our lives. Over everything in our life. And it requires that we're willing to literally lose everything, even if we do not. Does that make sense to you? So, you know, you may not lose that all, but are you willing to say, God, you're so important to me the priority of loving you and of lordship of you in my life is more important to me than anything else. I'm willing to lose it all. But most of us, I fear, would rather imagine all the blessings that we'll receive from following Christ than count the cost of what it will really take to be his disciple. The reality is we have to give up everything, including ourselves. Well, that's not very popular, Craig. I, I don't know that I... What we have to understand is there's no greater joy, no greater fulfillment in our lives than to really do that. So we're headed somewhere on a journey. In the next several weeks, we're going to be on it together. And uh, next week, the, the message is entitled, Too Hungry for Words. And I'm praying that God will increase the hunger in our lives. So the question that we're left with this morning is, do we believe that he's really worth it? Do we believe he's really worth it? And, and don't answer that now because I'm sure with your mouth, oh, absolutely. <laughs> but are you willing to pay the price? The cost of true followership. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Next week we have an exciting week planned and... Uh, We'll be welcoming our, a lot of new partners, about 17 new partners. We have a lunch today planned for those folks. And if you are a new partner here for that luncheon and board members, there's about 40 of us meeting in the teen center right afterwards uh, for a wonderful meal together. It's going to be a great day of celebration, but I'm, I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited about where God's bringing us as a church. And I encourage you not to miss um, what he's doing. And are you really hungry? And sometimes we're not. But we can ask for God to give us a greater hunger. Amen? So I want you to answer the, some of those questions in your heart. And I, I plead with you and I implore you. Don't, don't leave today and just say, oh, okay, you know, it was a nice sermon. Go home, take your Bibles, open it up and read Luke chapter 12. Read, read Luke 9. Read Matthew. And there's so many scriptures that I, I never even got to today in my message. And I trust that the Holy Spirit spoke to us what we needed to hear. And that our hearts are ready to receive it. And not, again, just hear, but receive here where God's taking you and I. It's an exciting journey. It might be a scary one in one sense, but I'll tell you, there, there's, no, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater in the world. There's no greater sense of fulfillment. 
Let's pray. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let me just ask you before we, we leave here into the hurry and scurry of life. Would you just in your own words take just a couple of seconds between you and God? Maybe where you're at, where you're headed, maybe something that you feel in your heart today. What does your devotion to Christ look like? Is it profound like we learn in some of these underground churches in Asia and beyond? People who have to literally give their life and learn about God in secret. And I think that our some of our comfortness in being spoiled as Americans has really hurt our faith journey because it, it doesn't cost us anything. It's too easy. Sometimes things that are too easy don't carry much value in our hearts. Right? When something costs you something, it's of greater value to you. You'll respect it and appreciate it greater. And I think that we've taken our relationship with Christ in too many ways way too lackadaisically. So whatever you have to do business with your heart with the Lord, just take a few seconds do it now. God, I thank you for your amazing grace and your love that you never give up on us. Even for people in this room who may be apart from you or maybe have drifted or maybe have never really committed to, to full devotion of discipleship and followership. That you love each one of us and that you meet every single person in this room, even in our kids' church and beyond. And I pray for our students tonight our young people, you meet every person in an individual, specific, unique way. And that's how much you love us and care for us. Lord, I thank you that you're calling us to a deeper walk with you. And I pray to you to help each of us to, to be open to what that might look like in our lives as individuals, what it might look like. And Lord, as you, as you reveal that path, I pray that we would be obedient to follow you. And to not be afraid of the cost, but to embrace it with joy, knowing that it will bring the greatest fulfillment in our life and the greatest joy in our life that we might be missing out on. God, I pray that you bless each person as we go our separate ways throughout this day. And I pray that this week, you, by your Holy Spirit, would continue to, to stir something in our hearts. A greater hunger for more of you. And for a more complete and absolute abandonment of our selfish desires to serve you and what that looks like in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Small group leaders, if you like uh, questions, just shoot me an email. We'll send those out to folks this week. God bless you. The altars are open. We'll play some music. And uh, if you'd like to spend some time at the altars, please feel free to do so. Amen.